Lord, I need you. I want to taste. I want to see that, Lord, you're good. Let me taste you. Let me touch you as we get into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. More often than I would like to admit, following Jesus is really hard. More often than I'd like to admit, I have a bad attitude about following Jesus. Sometimes it's just financial. I just think, man, I could be making more money doing other things. Sometimes it's a convenience thing. I'm at the Y. I just want to do my workout, and someone starts to pour out their heart to me. And I'm like, this is just not really convenient. This is my me time right now, and you're encroaching on it. Right? And sometimes I just think, man, things are too hard, or it's taking too long to see the change in me or in my circumstances or whatnot. And I just think, God, this is just too hard. Have you ever been there? Do you also feel those things, sometimes uncomfortable with, Maybe the financial cost of following Jesus. Do you feel uncomfortable uh, at all with sometimes just the urgency that Jesus requires of you regarding his kingdom? Or do you ever feel uh, like it's just too costly to follow Jesus? You know, in this Easter season, we've been taking a look at our baptismal vows. Or we, we, the church historically has looked at its baptismal vows. We did that. For those of you who are with us at the Easter service... Do you remember after the sermon? I, I got to tell you, my, my two favorite parts of our Easter service were Rose Minnie sharing. Where's Rose? There she is. Rose, Rose shared her story. But then afterwards, when we, Jude led us in the creed, that was just a catechism, really. And that's where I just felt the power and the presence of God. And we just kind of were renewing together as a church our baptismal vows. Well, we're going to do a similar thing today. As Liz mentioned, we are baptizing some folks today. And so I thought it'd be really good for us to take a look at what is the sacrifice that Jesus asks us to make? What sacrifices does he ask us to make? But also, what sweetness is there in following Jesus? So everyone say with me, just say sacrifice. Okay, there is sacrifice in following Jesus. But everyone say sweet. It is sweet to follow him. And we're going to see both here in a moment. Now, what I want us to do is to, to find the sacrifice and to find the sweetness, I want us to look at Luke 9 and 10. So if you have your Bibles in whatever form, paper, electronic, however you do it, um, just find Luke 9 and 10. And I just want to give us a little context here for Luke 9 and 10. Because Luke 9 and 10, maybe if I was going to uh, give a chapter to, or a, maybe a title heading for Luke 9 and 10, it would be something like the fun messiness of Jesus delegating the kingdom to a bunch of boneheads, right? (laughs) Luke 9 and 10 is the fun messiness of Jesus delegating the things of the kingdom to a bunch of boneheads, okay? And this really is kind of the peak of Jesus' ministry. It's a lot of fun. There are fun things going on. Basically, what happens in these two chapters is twice, so there are really awesome mission trips that go on. If you've been on a mission trip, Experience the presence of God. This is what happens here. And first, he sends out 12, and the 12 come back, and they're like, wow, Jesus, this stuff really works. Demons respond to our commands. He does it again in Luke 10. He sends 72 out, and they have the same response. This is so awesome, right? 
But as all of us in our immaturity have issues, some of the issues here were like they didn't quite get all the kingdom values, right? Jesus still had to work on the kingdom values getting into these guys. And so, for example, they had a little fight about who's the greatest or my favorite of all. It's actually probably one of the funniest places of scripture to me is, you know, Jesus has set his face on Jerusalem saying, now I'm going here. And uh, amidst all the fun and mission trip party stuff, Jesus says things like, hey, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem and uh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to I'm going to go through some pain and some trial and some tragedy here. And they just don't get it. But anyways, as they're going, they're going from north to south. They're going towards Jerusalem. They have to pass through this area called Samaria. And there just have historically been some kind of racial, ethnic, religious tensions between kind of the thoroughbred Jews and the Samaritans. Or, yeah, the Samaritans. And so, as, so, so we, we see in Luke 9, uh, they're coming to a Samaritan village to stay there. But because they're on their way to Jerusalem, the village actually says, you guys can't stay here. And what do the disciples do? Their response is, hey, Jesus. You know, we're powerful now in the Holy Ghost. We're awesome. Do you want us to call down fire and consume these guys? <laughs> right? And, okay. You know, and Jesus, I love it. The understatement of Scripture, Jesus just says, uh, and they, he rebuked them. You know, Jesus rebuked them. But you just got the values kind of messed up, right? Jesus has to explain to them, hey, that's not what we're about. We're not about calling fire down on people who don't agree with us, who don't like us. Right? Anyways, I love that part. So this is kind of the context. And in the midst of this context, we hear Jesus say, Here's the sacrifice involved in following me, and here is some of the sweetness. So let's look at Luke 9, the last few verses of Luke 9. It's uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. They're on the way to Jerusalem, and we get a great picture of the sacrifice part. As they were going along the road, right, they're headed towards Jerusalem. Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. He knows he's headed towards the whole Passion Week. We just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. Someone, someone in the crowd, someone going by, said to him, Ah, I'll follow you wherever you go. This someone obviously heard of all the cool stuff that was happening. 5,000 people got fed. A kid who was struggling with seizures got miraculously healed. I mean, there's fun stuff happening in the kingdom. 12 and 72 are seeing the power of God show up in amazing ways. So it's all glory, right? And this guy says, Hey, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, hey, uh, let me tell you something. Foxes have holes and birds there have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Wow. Okay. Another one. Verse 59. To another, he said, so now Jesus is inviting him. Hey, come follow me. And this person says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That sounds like a noble thing to do. That's what you would do in the family. You'd wait and until your father passes away and make sure that the transition goes well. But Jesus says to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have some urgency that I need to share with you. And lastly, this third would-be disciple, verse 61 says, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Whew. Jesus is pretty intense right now. So I want to look at these first, these, these sacrifices that Jesus calls us to make as followers of him. And the first one, this one uh, in these first two verses, we'll go back through them one by one. Where Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds there have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. 
There's first one I noticed that one sacrifice that Jesus calls us to is the discomfort having to do with lack, right? Sometimes we have a discomfort. We are discomforted because of a lack of resources. Jesus had no problem with the fact that he didn't have a place to sleep regularly. And his disciples were living the same thing. So everyone just say discomfort. Discomfort. At times, following Jesus means we are discomforted. We are uncomfortable because of a lack of resources. Now, I love that in the kingdom of God, we are more than ever about excellence. Right? You see churches getting on board with the fact that uh, church should be excellent. How we share Jesus with others should be excellent. Uh, How we do all sorts of things should be excellent. I love that. But do you know that the majority world, in other words, the, uh, the church in the majority world, majority world being the non-Caucasian uh, poor that is the majority in this earth, the church is expanding powerfully. And it's expanding powerfully through non-Western world. And what I'm saying is most of the church, like the majority of the church today, is not with great resources. And still, the kingdom of God is moving powerfully, right? Brian just mentioned a move of God in the Middle East. We've seen a similar thing in Mongolia. In Mongolia, some of the most exciting things are going on in the kingdom. And they don't have huge buildings. They don't have huge budgets. They don't have a pastoral staff. They don't have tons of stuff. And yet, the kingdom of God is on the move. Somehow, in Mongolia, in the Middle East, they've gotten comfortable with the fact that following Jesus means sometimes there's a lack of resources. Here in this church, we've been doing this Imagine a Church campaign because I'm asking us to kind of ante up and say, hey, can we staff this church in such a way that we can be poised to do all that God has called us to do? But in my heart of hearts, I want you to know that when we come to our new fiscal year, July 1, if we don't have everything that, I've, that we're kind of asking for, I'm not, it's not going to rock my world because the kingdom of God is always advancing and it's advancing all the time. I've... With a sense of lack. You know what I'm saying? Like at times, there's just lack and it's okay. Because God's still on the move. You catching this, right? The sacrifice we make is we are at times uncomfortable because of a lack of resources in our own life. And that is okay. Amen? Because God's on the move and he's probably getting us more dependent on him. Okay, second one. So we have discomfort. What's the second way that we sacrifice? This is the one he said, hey, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. There's an urgency there. Urgency. Everyone say urgent. Okay, at times in the kingdom of God, there is an urgency. Jesus said it best when he said, hey, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things like food and shelter, they'll be added to you. But seek first the kingdom of God. The disciples were used to doing this. They had forsaken kind of normal paths of life life, so they could be urgent about the kingdom of God. Elizabeth, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't want to, uh, we always want to be cautious to not make out the missionary to be the hero, but the reality is Elizabeth has said, I am, uh, I have an urgency about people in India coming to know Christ that I'm willing to lay aside um, kind of normal paths because of this desire to see the kingdom come. We honor you for that, Elizabeth. Of course, yes, we just honor you. We honor you tremendously. I hope you felt honored because we just got you out the door, right? <laughs> Amen. Okay. There's an urgency. I'll never forget the moment. Uh, it was just about a decade ago. But I remember uh, being in my grandparents' home outside of Detroit, suburban Detroit. 
And um, I'm the kind of person that when I travel, I like to have everything in a row. Like I like to have my things or, you know, in a row. I like to have my luggage in order. I like to have, you know, Southwest, you check in 24 hours exactly in advance. So you can get like A15, you can get right there in the first boarding. That's how I work. Um, you know, whatever. I just, there's an obsessive compulsiveness that comes out when I travel, okay? <clears throat> so we are done with this trip to my grandparents. And my grandfather, this is my maternal grandfather's health, had been failing. And I had a sense that this may be the last time that I saw him. And so everything in me, I just come with a little gospel tract. You know, Billy Graham has uh, authored some tracts that explain kind of the way to salvation in a very kind of uh, logical format. And so I had this gospel tract. It's like burning a hole in my pocket. And I realized if I don't share Jesus with my grandfather, I may never have this opportunity again. So an urgency came on me that more important than me getting my luggage all in order, more important than me checking in online at that moment was me sitting down with my grandfather. And I've shared this from this place before, but just going through that gospel tract, having my grandfather immediately come to tears and him say, I recognize I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. And really, it's the, it's the, that's the lowest hanging fruit I've ever plucked in the sense of I'd never had an easier opportunity to share Jesus with someone because I literally just walked through the tract. My grandfather said yes, but the power of God showed up, the sincerity of his heart, the presence of God filled the room, and God rescued my grandfather that day. And a month later, that was in October, that was in one of those, like either the Columbus Day weekend, and by Thanksgiving of that year, he had passed away. And I just say, thank you, God. At some times, we need to be urgent for the kingdom. Amen? That's a sacrifice. We put aside our comfort, our needs to have everything in a row, and we, we respond with urgency. Amen? Okay, discomfort, D, urgency, U. And there's a third thing here, this last one. Yet another said, this is verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. It's an okay request. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow, Jesus, kind of a party pooper, isn't he? (laughs) And for sure, there's probably a reference here to, some of you may be aware of 1 Kings 19. A few years before this, a man named Elijah was just filled with the power of God. And his ministry was coming to an end. And he recognized that he needed a protege to share this anointing with. And so he finds Elisha. And he puts the cloak on Elisha, meaning, you come and follow me, be my disciple. And Elisha, you know, Elisha says, awesome, (laughs) this is great. I want to learn from you, Elijah. This is going to rock. But he says, wait, let me just have a party with the family first and say goodbye. And Elijah allows that. He does that. So, So what is Jesus saying here? And this is just conjecture on my part. I don't claim to understand all of the thoughts of Jesus. But here's my best stab at this. And that is, I believe that Jesus is saying here, like is making a clear reference to that Elijah and Elisha thing. I feel like he's saying, you know what? Back then, there's an opportunity for that to go on. But I'm a little more intense. What's at stake here is a little bit more than what was at stake with Elijah and Elisha. If you want to follow me, it's going to take some perseverance. All right? Like, you're going to have to not look back. You won't have that opportunity to, to turn. Okay? And uh, Jesus is saying, hey, this is... This is this is the show. This is the big time. This is following me is it's it's uh, it's even more than following Elijah, basically. Okay, 
And I require some perseverance. Can everyone say perseverance? Perseverance, okay? So following Jesus, a sacrifice that we make, besides being discomforted, besides being urgent at times, a third we make is we persevere in the kingdom, okay? We persevere. We need to keep going even when it's hard. I um, have a few perseverance lessons to share from a little experience yesterday. I, I did a... Um, a bike ride for the Multiple Sclerosis Society yesterday, 60 miles on the Cape. It was wonderful. The weather was perfect. It was awesome. But as I'm pedaling through, I just thought, hey, there's some really good lessons on perseverance perseverance from a cycling perspective. Can I share those with you? Can we get very deep and theological at this moment? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> First one is this. When you're cycling, you just want to keep your cadence going. You want to keep your rhythm going. In other words, whether you're going uphill or downhill, you basically want to keep the same stride. So what you're doing is you change your gears to, to uh, adjust for that. But the rhythm, the cadence, your RPMs, ideally are the same. And I thought, that's so cool. Because in the kingdom, too, there's times where really going uphill, it's difficult. You're sweating. It's you wonder where the top of this hill is. But you just got to keep going. Likewise, there are times that we're cruising downhill. When you cruise downhill, actually, even if you're, even if, from the cycling perspective, even if you're not making forward motion, you're just kind of pedaling, it's still good to keep that rhythm going because you don't know kind of when that hill's going to change or you just, it's just good to keep that rhythm going. It's just kind of an accepted practice. So I say the same thing in the kingdom, right? We just keep going. Sometimes we feel like things are great with God, but why would you stop your rhythms of being thankful, spending time with Jesus, loving others, doing all the kingdom things, sharing the gospel, right? We do it in season, out of season. So there's just You keep your cadence in the kingdom. That's what perseverance looks like. Another thing that cycling teaches about perseverance is it was a 60-mile ride, and it was about 30 miles in that my rear end really started to hurt. I don't know who designed bike seats, but it obviously wasn't someone with, like, the human anatomy in mind. I think it was another anatomy that they were thinking of. And I kind of thought, isn't this interesting that halfway through, it's really starting to hurt. And I started to reflect on the fact that I'm about halfway through my life. I am a middle-aged man. And there are places where the devil has kicked me in the tail so often that my butt just hurts on kind of a permanent basis. We're getting deep and theological here, if that's okay. <clears throat> but you know what? The comfort that I had at mile 30 was, at mile 60, you will get off. You will get off this bike, and the pain will stop. <laughs> Although it didn't. As we were driving back up yesterday, I thought, I feel like I'm still sitting on this bike. This is so weird. <laughs> Okay? So, perseverance. You know, it's what Paul described in the Bible as hope. Real hope. It's not hope unless we actually don't have it yet. But if there's places in your life where the enemy has kicked you in the tail so often and so much, you're just kind of in that permanent pain spot, guess what? You will get off the bike one day. One day, you will see Jesus face to face. One day, you will cross the finish line. You will cross the finish line. And the pain will stop. (laughs) Okay? I think that in our North American, Western world, we are so about medication, we forget some of the scriptural truth that hope isn't hope unless it's not yet attained. And we have a real hope, and we have an eternal hope. And that hope is something we need to hold on to. Amen? Okay. Last deep theological truth from cycling is the finish line is closer than you think. Okay, the finish line is closer than you think. As I was around mile 55, and I didn't have my, didn't have my bike computer, so I wasn't keeping track of the mileage or all that, I just knew that, you know, I'm near the end here. 
But I kept thinking to myself, if I actually knew, I didn't feel like pulling out my iPhone and seeing exactly where I was. Like the, our destination was the high school. The, the, the start and end of this thing was Martha's Vineyard Regional High School. So I knew um, that I was in the ballpark, but I didn't feel like pulling out the iPhone. And, uh, but I just, I knew, my consolation was this. It was, I know that the high school is somewhere close. It could be a mile away. It could be five miles away. But that thing is coming. And, you know, at mile 55, you're, like, pretty excited about being over. And, but I just thought, but as soon as I get there, like, as soon as I turned the corner and the high school was there, I remember just thinking to myself, it wasn't that bad. You know, if three miles ago I had just calmed down a little bit and, and been aware of the fact that the finish line was coming, it would have just calmed me down. And so I don't know if you can see, what, what I'm trying to bring us is, you know, the finish line is not that far off. The finish line is closer than you think. One day, this thing will get wrapped up. The thing called your life, or maybe the thing we call God's kingdom coming to earth, sooner than we realize, this thing is going to wrap up. And so what that does is, that makes me want to pedal harder. It makes me want to calm down. It makes me want to dig in and persevere and say, you know what, we're going to get there. Amen? So this is perseverance. Perseverance uh, it, it, it's required of us by Jesus, and it's part of the sacrifice. And um, thank you, God. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that's it. Awesome. All right, what about the sweetness part, right? Because we're baptizing folks today. We're going to baptize them into the sacrifice, saying, guess what? You get to be discomforted, urgent, and persevering the rest of your life. Praise the Lord. Okay, <laughs> don't you want to follow them? <laughs> Amen. But then as they come up out of the water, what is the promise? What are some promises? A few verses later, Jesus has something wonderful to say. And it's in chapter 10. starts at verse 21. But actually, I want to... Uh, let us start a little bit earlier. Let us start in 17. And I mentioned to you before that Jesus had sent out 72 followers on this awesome mission trip. And this is what it was like when they came home. So this is chapter 10 of Luke, verse 17. We're getting to the sweetness part of what it is to follow Jesus says, the 72 returned with joy. John just prayed that for us. We'd have joy. There's joy in the kingdom. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Holy cow, we have unbelievable power. This is cool. And he said to them, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, I see, you know, the vengeance that humanity has meant to, to take on the devil because of what the devil did in the Garden of Eden by deceiving us. I see this thing happening. I see the kingdom coming. I see women and men taking their rightful place as, as powerful in the kingdom. And I see Satan's reign ending. He says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. But, Jesus remembered, they're still having problems with all the values in the kingdom. He says, nevertheless, don't rejoice in just this, right? Stop calling fire down on people that are not like you. But, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, right? Rejoice in the mercy of God. All of us deserve hell. All of us deserve separation from God. It's really his mercy that allows us to be with him, okay? That's the context. And then, now into the sweetness part. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Or Jesus started to get excited about what God was doing. He was rejoicing in what was going on. In the same way, can I just pause for a second? I want to give a little... Just to help understand Jesus' state of mind, he rejoiced in the same way. I actually had a great moment of rejoicing yesterday with my son, my four-year-old. Okay, normally, so my son, during all these, these festivities with this race, he got a balloon. 
And we transitioned from, uh, uh, <laughs> so he had a helium balloon on his wrist, and we were walking under some trees, and sadly, a branch hit the balloon, and it popped. Now, normally when that happens, my four-year-old, it is like the waterworks turn on. I mean, major, like, he is inconsolable because he's lost his balloon, and we stop everything. I have to spend some time counseling on, it's okay. But we've turned a corner. I'm rejoicing now. Because J.D., he said, you know what? You know what the good thing is about the balloon having been popped? is It won't float away anymore. <laughs> and I just thought, my son, the philosopher, is, I mean, you know, learning how to turn, you know, get lemonade out of a lemon. I was like, this kid is awesome. Thank you, God. So I rejoiced, all right? I'm like, this is change. This is progress. Same kind of thing. Jesus is watching these disciples, mixed up values, but they're walking to something wonderful, and he gets excited. This is what he says. This is verse 21. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, so he was just kind of worshiping the Lord there. He had a little praise moment. And then he turns to the disciples. He said privately to them, hey, guys, you're blessed, which means happy, jealous, like to be envied, I should say. You are to be envied. You're, you're happy. You're blessed because these eyes, right, blessed are the eyes that see what, you're, what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So there's the sweetness, right? There's the sweetness for us. You guys getting baptized, all of us renewing our baptismal vows. The reality is we have in our hands and in our hearts something that the prophets, kings of old longed for, right? We have the Bible, for goodness sake. Can you just say thank you, God, for the Bible? We have the heart of God condensed for us in this incredible thing so we can read and know his heart. It's amazing. You have the Holy Spirit who wants to live inside you, right? For years, the priests and the people of Israel were longing for intimacy with the Lord. And we can have intimacy with the Lord. We can have temple. We can have church wherever you want to have church because he lives inside you. You bring church. You are church. And you bring church to your class. You bring church to your workplace. You bring church to your home. God lives inside you. It's just so amazing. You have... I can't read my own writing. Thank you, God. That was awesome. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. And, and like we referred to earlier, we, you know, we have this capacity to take vengeance on the enemy, right? The enemy has overtaken the earth, and guess what? We're taking it back for the Lord. That was God's plan from the beginning, and we get to co-labor with him, seeing his kingdom come. That is a gift. There's nothing more fun and wonderful than that. That's the sweetness of this thing. That's the sweetness of walking with Jesus. And, and I, you know... Uh, where I really feel it is when you see it happen in someone else, right? Like when someone has been really struggling and you pray for them, they get freed or healed or delivered. That's where you go, this is awesome. Here's the sweetness of following Jesus is seeing people's lives transform. And so it's thankfulness. What I, I, what's amazing to me about what Jesus has said is he just says, hey, blessed are you guys because of what you're seeing and what you're hearing. He doesn't ask them to do anything. He doesn't ask them to change anything at that moment. He just says, you're blessed. You're blessed. I want to say to you, you're blessed. I want to say to us, we're blessed. Are we blessed? We are blessed. And so it's thankfulness that makes the sacrifice sweet. 
It's thankfulness, recognition. It's thankfulness that makes the sacrifice sweet. You guys getting baptized? It's thankfulness that makes this sacrifice sweet. Everyone say sweet. Everyone say sacrifice. And then just say it after me. Thankfulness makes the sacrifice sweet. Thankfulness makes the sacrifice sweet. Amen? Before we transition to our baptisms, I just want to give us all a moment to essentially renew those vows. We won't do it through a creed. We'll, we'll take two moments to wait on the Lord here. The first one is, of those three sacrifices that Jesus mentions in this passage, which one is the Lord calling you to re-up again today? In other words, is it the discomfort that comes from a lack of resources at times? Is it urgency in the kingdom? Or is it a desire or a need to persevere? Which one of those three is Jesus saying, hey, remember, remember when you got baptized? I want to call you back to this now. Okay, let's do that. We'll wait on the Lord for that, and then we'll do the second one. So Holy Spirit, just in your simple, wonderful way, Lord, we ask now for an invitation from you, Holy Spirit, of those three, being discomforted because of a lack of resources at times, the need to be urgent in the kingdom at times, and persevering always in the kingdom. Which one of those are you inviting us again to today? And as you're doing business with the Lord, secondly, just take a moment in your heart of hearts and just say thank you to Jesus for letting your eyes see what you see. You see the church alive, on fire with the Holy Spirit, ready to bring about the kingdom and the consummation of the ages. Just take a moment to say thank you to Jesus. Thank you for inviting you into the sweetness of following him. As the passage indicated, we just kind of stand uh, speechless in front of the sovereignty of God. You know, it, the Father chose you. Jesus chose you. If you have been baptized, there's a sovereign piece of it that we just can't deny from this scripture and from many others. So we just say, thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that thankfulness makes the sacrifice sweet. We pray afresh for all of us that we'd experience the sweetness of following you, the privilege of being a part of your kingdom. And Lord, we we receive by faith your fresh invitations to sacrifice by following you. As some of us get baptized today, 
Give us fresh grace to be dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. All of us, once again, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, this time, we would invite you to gather around the trough here.